So Job chapter 12, verse 1, through chapter 13, verse 19. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughing stock to my friends, I who call to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughing stock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers are at peace, and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality toward Him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when He searches you out? Or can you deceive Him as one deceives a man? He will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality. Will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Let me have silence and I will speak. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. 
Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there to contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So far, what is it that we can learn from Job's experience? Well, just like every other story of God's people in the Bible, we can learn something about our Lord Jesus Christ and what he experienced in this earthly life. Jesus himself experienced deep sorrow and a troubled soul. He despised the shame and did not desire to go through the darkness of the cross. He knew what it felt like to be forsaken by God his Father and to take on the wrath of God. And he knew the feeling of how unreliable his friends could be. Also, Job helps us in our suffering, knowing that when we suffer, it is not always because of sin. See, much like Job's friends, we naturally expect earthly rewards when we're good and punishment when we're bad. This is how most of us were raised. But this is not a good reflection of God, our Heavenly Father, whose wisdom in raising His children far exceeds worldly wisdom and the wisdom of our parents. And remember, Jesus called His disciples to suffer. So suffering is a mark of discipleship. Because more than anything else, Job is a book that is calling us to deeper discipleship and devotion. And with this deeper discipleship, there must be proper application of God's word. So as we will see in his third speech, Job responds to all three of his so-called wise friends. And he is upset, to say the least. In all three of their speeches, they have been no help to Job. They misunderstood Job and his situation. They were ignorant of Job's righteous standing before God. And they were arrogant in their presentation of what they believed to be the solution to Job's agony. Remember, context is key when we apply the word of God. And they knew nothing of the context. And we can also add that Job was a bit ignorant himself. He did not know what God was doing. He didn't know the secret workings of God behind the scenes in the work of his divine providence. He didn't know that his suffering was not a punishment for sin. But it was because Job was in fact a chosen seed of God appointed to temporarily defeat Satan. For God's honor and glory and somehow mysteriously for the good of God's people. And this foreshadows the one who will eventually defeat Satan permanently. While his friends, again without knowing it, were speaking on behalf of Satan himself. So after Job listened to his friends and their false accusations, we have reached Job's sharp criticism. And in his criticism of his friends, we begin to see the light of hope shine a little brighter for Job. If you follow Job's story throughout this book and you trace his responses to his friends, you'll notice in every response, he also turned to God. 
So I have divided Job's third speech into two parts. In the first, he addresses his friends, and in the second, he addresses his God. But this week, we will cover the first, where he tells his friends that first, their traditional human wisdom that they all had in common, including Job, is a failure. And secondly, that instead of relying on their wisdom, he will turn and make his plea to God. See, this text reveals a pattern for the modern day Christian, doesn't it? With all that the world has to offer us as wisdom, or even other Christians who sound a lot like Job's friends, we can say in response, nope, I reject that. I will now turn to God. And that is what we see Job do in our text this morning. So first, human wisdom is a failure. If you rely solely upon human wisdom and tradition, divorced from the truth of God, it will eventually fail you. Though at many points human wisdom may sound orthodox and even God-honoring, how much of the messages that we hear today that sound moral, either from friends, neighbors, family, politicians, celebrities, uh, that talk about doing good to their Neighbors, they, they may even have a bumper sticker that says, be kind. They may even invoke the name of God. They may even use the same lingo and verbiage as Christians do, like the word justice, but yet means something totally different by it, and it is devoid of the truth of God. You just press them a little further. Strip the first layer, and you'll notice that it, it is nothing but worldly wisdom. In this sort of wisdom, there is no hope. And Job gives many reasons why. Because worldly, human, legalistic wisdom is at root unloving. It lacks depth. It is weak. And it misrepresents God. Analyze any of the worldly social movements of today. And you will see... All of these features, because at root, it is from man's sinful, self-righteous pride. So according to Job, the wisdom of his friends is unloving and merciless. Job begins with a bit of sarcasm. He says, no doubt you are the people. Uh, The force of the word people is referring to the elites of society, those who have a monopoly on wisdom and the way you should think. You are the people, and wisdom will die with you. That's another way of saying sarcastically, hey, I don't know what the world would do without you. You are God's gift to mankind. If you were to perish, I think we would all just fall apart, and there would be no more wisdom in this world. You can tell Job is no longer taking their words very seriously. They haven't been listening to him, and they have been acting like they are his superiors. So he corrects their pride and says, but I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? Who doesn't know that God is in control and knows all things by just observing nature? Remember, we come from the same background in our belief system. But there is a problem in their wisdom. What's the problem? He is innocent. 
He is in a covenant relationship with God. What is wrong with their theology is that they are ignoring the suffering of the righteous and the safety of the wicked. I am a laughing stock to my friends. I who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man. Meaning he is in a right relationship with God, but now he is a laughing stock. Explain that one to me. And unfortunately, we see this all the time. Even in the church. We see what his friends are doing to him. Even in leadership roles today. Those who somehow, in a twisted way, turn the victim into the criminal. Uh, I know with every accusation there must be witnesses and there must be an investigation. And, and it is a long process. But the numbers are showing an upward trend of neglect and abuse in our churches today. And, and also on the flip side, a, a rising number of false accusations as well. And this is similar to how Job was treated by his friends. They were treating Job, who was a godly man and a victim, as a criminal without investigation. They didn't believe in due process or, or being innocent until proven guilty. They assumed that he was guilty because of his circumstances when he was not. And it is easy for them to accuse Job because in the thought of the one who is at ease, the one who has nothing to worry about, there is contempt for misfortune. No one wants to go through what Job has gone through, especially his friends, because it seems as if they thought up an infallible system that every time you do A, B is going to happen. But as soon as there is a glitch... They have a meltdown. And they say to themselves, there must be someone to blame for this. He must have done something wrong. The righteous cannot suffer this way. It doesn't fit well within their system. Their system is proven false with Job's situation. They lost control of the narrative. They can't solve the mystery, so someone must be to blame. But the thing is, this sort of misfortune comes as easy as your foot slipping on ice. In fact, misfortune is ready for those whose feet slip. What happened to Job could happen to anyone. And they can't see that Job's suffering will bring glory to God. Then he continues to say, if your worldly wisdom is all that it's cracked up to be, explain why the tent of robbers, the Sabians, the Chaldeans, who killed and stolen from me, why their tents are at peace and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. They worship the objects that they can hold. They worship their weapons and what they have stolen the wicked are safe in their wickedness while I'm suffering. And then you come along and call me wicked for it? Now he says all this to demonstrate how unloving and cruel their wisdom and religion truly are in the face of an innocent man who was suffering. But this is what they believed. They believed he was suffering because he was wicked. 
And they believed that Job's misfortune just worked to expose his sin. It is God's way of shunning and shaming sinners. Next, their wisdom lacks depth. In verses 7 through 12, it is as if he was quoting or mocking what his friends were saying to him. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In other words... Their wisdom says that creation teaches us about God. And what creation teaches is that every living thing is at his mercy. And this is true. If you ever want to catch someone who is a self-proclaimed atheist in a debate. Ask them to explain their own consciousness. Even scientifically. They can't explain this. Creation testifies to the truth of God's existence and everyone will be held accountable to what creation teaches us. But the problem is that their theology and wisdom was lacking depth. Their doctrine of God is limited to common knowledge. They don't know what to do with the mysteries and the unexplainable circumstances. They don't know what to do when they see a righteous man who is suffering. So then they think, then he must not be righteous. He's just getting what he deserves. See how quickly a limited, shallow knowledge of God can devolve into false conclusions. Uh, Like when the Lord said in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, My people are destroyed. For what? For lack of knowledge. So Job responds, does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. In other words, this is nothing new. I know all this already. Remember, we went to the same university. We are the aged and we have understanding. We've been around and we know these things to be true. In fact, Job knows more Than they think. Because next their wisdom is weak. Compared to an all powerful God. Now this is where Job gets. Some things right. And some things wrong about God. He describes God's sovereignty. As being random and wild. But the point that Job was trying to make. Was that God is much wiser. And much more powerful. Than they make him out to be. They think they have God. And his wisdom all figured out. They can put him in a nice, neat box. They think they know not only what he has revealed in nature, but also his secret will for Job. But they are mistaken, because with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. He knows what you do not know, and he has the power you do not have to do what you can't do. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. He's saying the damage that God does to man is irreversible. This is what he believes is his current situation. And all their wise solutions will not help. 
And he continues by describing how God displays his wisdom and power over his creation, over the leaders of the world, and over the nations that they rule. He is sovereign over creation. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. God tears down, he shuts men in, and he dries up the waters. How does that fit in with the wisdom of the world? Explain why we are all both righteous and wicked, subject to natural disasters. Uh, We know of churches recently who have been subject to natural disasters. In Job's friends' wisdom and theology, they would conclude they just got what they deserved. They are guilty of something. Uh, Aren't we all tempted to think this way at, at some point? Maybe some superstition has influenced our thinking over the years? He is also sovereign over the leaders. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped, that is, stripped of their wisdom and knowledge. And judges, he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads even religious leaders, priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. These leaders sound much like his friends, and it could be understood as a warning that God will undo human traditional wisdom and human powers at any point that he chooses for his own purposes. Also, he is sovereign over nations. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great, and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. He is saying that God is the one responsible for bringing chaos into a well-governed world and we should not depend on the current state of affairs. He raises nations And destroys nations as he pleases. All kingdoms are at his mercy. And this is true. This is why we ought not to worry about our current state in our nation today. I'm not saying we are inactive. But we should not worry. I've heard people say, well, God allows evil people to rule. He doesn't allow evil people to rule. He puts them there to rule. God is the one responsible for whoever is in leadership. He puts them there for his own purposes. Just as he put Pharaoh where he was. He said to Pharaoh, I set you there to display my power. And though this is true, I believe at this point, Job has a one-sided view of God, that God is dangerous, and you don't know what he'll do next. You may be in his favor today, but not tomorrow. But that sounds more like the God of Islam. This does not describe the God of the Bible. 
Yes, God does decide the fate of his creation, but his grace and favor is unending to his own people, even when they are suffering. Remember the story of the world, the history of the world, is ultimately about Jesus Christ and his church. And even the evil people that are placed in that puzzle are put there for Jesus Christ and his church. So we can agree with Job that their wisdom and theology is weak compared to an all-powerful God who is sovereign over all things. Lastly, their wisdom misrepresents God. And he begins to argue from eyewitness testimony because he has seen contrary to what their supposed wisdom teaches. And his answers are to be found in one place. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. He says it again. I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue my case with God. Though this is a precursor to his impatient challenge to God. But nonetheless, Job's desire is to stand before God. God would have the answers. He wants to turn away from their human wisdom. Why? Well, because it is full of lies. As for you, you whitewash with lies. They have an easy, cleaned up and tidy religion. And the best they could offer from that is some legal advice, which is not what Job needs. What Job needs is the gospel. He needs God himself. But they don't know what he needs, so he concludes that they are all worthless physicians. Oh, that you would keep silent. In other words, just shut up. And it would be your wisdom. Like it says in Proverbs 17, 28, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Now, why would it be better if they had just remained silent? Well, because as self-proclaimed ambassadors of God, they misrepresented God. This is something that is all too common. Because there are always two ditches on the sides of the road that we can fall into when we are speaking on behalf of God. There is the ditch of the antinomian, that of cheap grace that says, all you need to know is that God loves you. It doesn't matter what you do or how you live. Live your life the way you choose, because no matter what, God loves you. Well, no, that is a misrepresentation. Or the other ditch, that is the legalist's ditch that says, you shouldn't be worried about God's love. You just need to repent. I don't need to know what's going on in your life. You must have done something wrong along the way. Stop complaining and just repent. The latter is what Job is dealing with. And so he says, it is time to listen to me. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Will you show partiality toward him? That is to say, will you act like he's your number one? While you speak lies about him and about me. Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when he searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one deceives a man? Are you going to be able to stand before the same God who is judge and receive the same scrutiny that you have given me? 
is what Job is saying. With all of their ungodly motives, self-righteousness and false accusations, which is slander, by the way, will they escape the judgment of God? Remember how Zophar said in chapter 11, For God knows worthless men when he sees iniquity. Will he not consider it? And that was him using God to support his false accusations. Will God overlook that? No. In trying to exalt God above everyone else, they lied about him to make him look good and to support their case against Job. Do you think God will accept that? They were acting as God's prosecuting attorneys who were trying to indict Job, neglecting the fact that they were going to face indictment themselves. Like Jesus taught his disciples, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye? But in this case, there is no speck. There's only the log in their own eyes that needs to be removed. So he condemns their actions by saying that God will surely rebuke you, and he does so later on. If in secret you show partiality, will not his majesty terrify you? You've been preaching the fear of God, but do you fear God? Is what he's asking them. And the dread of him fall upon you. Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. All it takes is a swift blow of a hammer to crush their arguments against him. And their so-called defense of God is an offense to God because they misrepresented him. They use God's favor as a weapon. And it was at the expense of the truth. They were the ones who were in danger of judgment. And they should have been afraid. Also, the wisdom of God counters their wisdom in one famous text. It was Paul who said this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Eventually, men will run out of answers. We can look around today, And see how men are running out of answers to today's problems. Every answer that they come up with slipped through their hands as if they were trying to hold on to air. Today, much of the problems we see around us in our society and culture involves 
people who idolize other people. And they so want to be loved by them all the while they ignore their creator. People are chasing after the wisdom of the world and it leaves them with nothing. Now God is not going to give us all the answers. He never gives Job an answer as to why he was suffering. Well, he's not obligated to. God is not obligated to give us any answers. And although God uses men in certain offices to deliver his message, there comes a point where we must turn to God because men will fail us. And this, in his own imperfect way, is what Job does next. He says to his friends, let me have silence. In other words, again, shut up. And I will speak. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth? We're not exactly sure what this expression means. But some suggest it is something like, why should I bite my tongue? Anticipating danger. And put my life in my hand. To summarize, why should I wait around for something to happen to me? Or take my life into my own hands? I don't have all the answers. These guys definitely don't have all the answers. So I'm going to take my plea to God. I'm going to go to God. And here we have the famous verse, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Now there is difficulty in translating this verse. Some translate this to say, Behold, he will slay me. I have no hope. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. While others translate it as it is written here. Uh, Well, which is it? Since I couldn't make up my mind. And if I was to put my stock into my own biases. On whose translation I trust more. I would favor the former. Behold, he will slay me. I have no hope, yet I will argue my ways to his face. But either one you choose, it communicates basically the same thing. At this point, Job is saying, I have nothing to lose. So what if he kills me? God is still God. He himself is the answer. Though his knowledge is a bit skewed, he still has confidence, not only in God, but also in his right standing before God. He says, this will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there that will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. He is confident that he will be vindicated in God's presence as a true believer. If not, he will shut up and die. At that point, there will be no hope at all anyway. So he resolved to speak even though God would kill him. You see, Job is a mixed bag. Have you ever come across a Christian like Job? Are you like Job? Because at times it sounds like he believes... God to be this monster who caused all this pain. But at other times he realizes where else is there to go? Have you ever come to that realization? Where else is there to go but to God? Like when Jesus said some hard sayings to the crowds which made a lot of them leave. You know, Jesus had a knack for that. Making people leave. 
Then he turned to his disciples and asked, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else was Job to turn at this point? See, they accused Job of being an unbeliever. But what unbeliever do you know desires to come before God? So what do we make of this part of Job's response? Well, first, we must realize that the wisdom of the world will fail us. The wisdom of the world takes pride in health and wealth. It judges whether or not someone is in a right with God based on worldly benefits and rewards. It takes pride in having everything figured out without ever turning to God in his word. We see this in the philosophizing of some of the more famous and elite Christians in our society. I always say, beware of going to famous Christians for doctrine. Because they're famous for a reason. There's compromise somewhere there. More times than not. I'm not saying every time, but more times than not, there's compromise somewhere. How many of them truly believe what the Bible teaches about God? And how many times in trying to make God look good, or maybe make themselves look good, They misrepresent God. Also, there is always the danger for believers to believe that we have all of our circumstances figured out. When good things are happening to me, God must be happy with me. When bad things are happening to me, God must be mad at me. What did I do wrong? If you want to know experientially, if you are in the right with God, ask yourself, are you seeking for God? Are you seeking to know him? Are you seeking to love God and serve him according to what he has said in his word? See, though Job gets a lot wrong and he will continue to get a lot wrong and he will be rebuked for what he got wrong. But behind all of this, he turned to God. He recognized that God is God. Where else can we go? We're living in a time where the church needs to turn to God and his word once again. Churches are trying so hard to be loved by the world. So they change the church to look like, sound like, and act like the world. I'm not talking about updating or renovating the church building. But rather excusing and affirming sin. And in order to remain relatable or relevant, they accept irreverent worship of God. They want to retain influence in the culture. So they compromise and then continue to spread lies and false promises. Lies about God. Someone told me the story, maybe someone you know. You may even be sitting in a pew somewhere in this building. He told me the story he asked a respected minister or elder in the church. Which is worse for the church? Liberalism? Or legalism. And the elder responded. They're twins. They're twins. See the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the culture. Will not do you any good. The world has nothing good to offer you. In your spiritual life. The best and only option for us today. Is to turn away from. 
false worldly wisdom and turn to God. Turn to his word, reflect on his wisdom that he has revealed. And for whatever he hasn't revealed, that we rest in his sovereignty. Believers are not to be terrified by his sovereignty. Just like his incomprehensibility, how we can never understand God and his ways. His sovereignty is meant to be a comfort to our souls. Knowing that nothing that happens to us is outside of his control. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And what in the world can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus our Lord? It was the wisdom of the world that led the people to wag their heads at Jesus as he hung on the cross. And they said, aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Little did they know that he was the divine son of God in human flesh, dying on the cross for foolish sinners who would wag their heads at weakness and are often led astray by worldly wisdom, thinking that there is power in it. And I bet many of them thought that they were in the right with God. Are you in the right with God? If you're not, or if you don't know, cast yourself on this Savior, who though he despised the shame, yet he took the mockery, the spitting, and the cross for us, so that we would gain access and the ability to turn to God when all else fails us. Turn to God. Turn to Christ, who is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Trust in the foolishness of the cross, for it is the wisdom of God. And Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen.